All right, what's up, everyone? How's it going? Welcome to another episode of Academics on Amigos. I'm here with comic book artist and illustrator and writer Jay Gonzo. He is a writer uh, for multiple comic books. He worked uh, um, for McFarlane Toys for a while, and he's been a creative uh, director uh, for many, many different places. And uh, But the two books that I really want to highlight um, from him are La Mano del Destino, which we're going to be talking talking about today. And uh, you can uh, help back through Kickstarter at the moment, and uh, which I highly recommend because there's some really cool rewards that that, um, that uh, Gonzo's giving away. So definitely check that out. And also I want to highlight um, another book of his, um, La Voz de Mayo, Tata Rambo. I think that that book is really dope too has a lot of cool histor- historical facts and historical references and stuff. And um, I think those are two books that you all should check out. So without further ado, uh, Jay, what's up, man? How are you doing? Doing well, man. How are you doing today? I'm rocking and rolling, dude. Oh. Um, uh, today's one of those days where I've had meetings back to back to back to back to back to back. <laughs> um, but oh, so it, it's just one of those days. But you know what? Life's good, man. Life's good. Yeah, I, I, I literally just did one of these, took about 20 minutes off, and then I'm doing another one of these. So. Uh, yeah, just doing my press tour. I That's should point different. out too. Uh, thanks for your appreciation of La Voz de Mayo. I should point out I I only drew that book. So, oh, uh, yeah. Uh, Henry Barajas is uh, it's his grand it's his great grandfather's story. So mm-hmm. Henry Barajas is the guy who wrote that. I so I I just drew uh, it's only art duties on on La Voz de Mayo. Uh, La, Voz, uh, La Mano del Destino. That's all me though. That's all you. Yeah. Okay. Right. I, 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 we're, we can talk about anything. Like I can talk about the other books. So. It's fine. Uh, dope, dope. Well, yeah. what, um, speaking of like your artistry and stuff, I wanted to, I wanted to know like what what first made you interested in being a comic book artist and illustrator, and like what were some of the first comics that really attracted you to the medium? Oh man, so I would say what you know the, the short answer to what got me into comics was Spider Man. Mm. I just dug oh, Spider Man yeah. when I was a kid. Yeah, and uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, I had seen the cartoons and uh, had a lot of like Spider Man stuff in my life, mm-hmm. uh, including the the oh you can't really see it here. Uh, there's a power record over there. Like it's a record storybook that had mm-hmm. comic books. And then um, what really drew, what really drew me in was the newspaper strip because my, uh, mm-hmm. my grandparents who lived in LA got the LA times and it had the Spider-Man newspaper strip. And my, my, uh, my dad's dad would cut them out for you. He knew I like Spider-Man. So every time we'd go visit, he would had cut out like, you know, however long it had been since I'd been there before. So sometimes it'd be like, you know, two months worth of com- or comic strips. And I could read, you know, entire stories. And I just really loved the, the art style was so different than everything else you saw in the comic strips and it was so different than everything else like other oh, cartoons you know like uh mm-hmm. like the spider-man cartoon was so much different and i just really like spider-man and that's what got me into like liking kind of that comic art style and i remember getting like um like a stamp set that had like a really cool like you know uh that silver age house style that marvel had in like the right. 70s and 80s, you know like that kind of style of like the silver surfer and fantastic four and i just love like how weird everything was and like the, mm-hmm. the art style was so like bold and graphic with like the thick black lines and the, the spotted black shadows and stuff and then um you know we get like a i think they're called color forms they were like you got like a book that had uh like a scene in it like a like an alleyway or something and then you had these things that were kind of like stickers but you had to like burnish them down yeah i remember yeah. those i remember those we'd get those at the little bodegas at the end of like my like uh, the end of the street where my nana would go do her shopping at and so, yeah, they were like a buck or two and you would just like burnish them down. And I remember like just, just not only would I do them, but I would pour over the artwork that went into them. I was just really fascinated with mm-hmm. like the, how different it was from like coloring books and like how different it was from like, you know, the kind of simple cartoons that were happening in, in that kind of mm-hmm. like late seventies. And so I just loved like the, like the impact of like how um, iconographic everything was, right? Mm-hmm. Like 
there, there is a, there's a visual vernacular to comic books. There's an iconography in as much as like you can define Byzantine art by the way that they distort the face and the flatness mm -hmm. of the guy. You can define comic book art by the flatness of, you know, most of it has to do with the process, right? Like yeah, how definitely. they're made, you know, like the inking, the coloring are all, you know, mm -hmm. done with like mechanical artboards. And what we think of as comic books is, until fairly recently have a visual vernacular. Anyway, it just, you know, got absorbed in my head. And, uh, and then I remember like, I was like 10 years old and I, I had seen a few comics here and there, but they always seemed old, right? Like I, I saw like a Star Wars comic when like Empire had come out and, and in my head that four years was like giant, right? Like, oh, well, it's a Star Wars comic, but you know, like that's, that's from years ago. And so they always seemed like relics. And then um, a buddy of mine, this guy, Arthur, actually, uh, yeah, he, uh, he's the guy who got me into it. We were just out playing. He's like, hey, man, I got to go, go by the liquor store. I'm going to get, uh, I got to get my comic books. I'm like, oh, they still like, they're still putting new ones out. Mm -hmm. And uh, he got a G.I. Joe comic. And, uh, and that's like the, the Larry Hama G.I. Joe era. Oh, you know, right, right. Like 83, or I'm sorry, it's like 84, 85. It's like right when G.I. Like, I think it was issue 12, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. And he, he, he bought it. And then I just like, he let me look at it. And I was just like, you know, page after page of this art style I like, you know, just in color too. It wasn't even in black and white. All of it was in color, you know, because I, all I got, the Spider-Man comics were only in color on Sundays. And uh, yeah, man, like I, I think I went home and like mowed the lawn or something and then came back with some money and just bought like a bunch of comic books and just, you know, I would say, so yeah, probably Larry Hammer G.I. Joe is the thing that really like sunk me on like the idea of comic books it was like, oh, here's, here's page after page after page. And, you know, so yeah, I mean, I really, I start kind of casually buying stuff. And then when I really get into comics, it's like, um, you know, it's 85, 86 and it's just like a golden era. I mean, I didn't realize it at the time, but like, oh yeah, well, Simonson's just doing Thor. You know, he's just the artist on Thor and I'm buying mm -hmm. Thor off the racks. I'm like, Oh, this guy's good. You know, Art Adams is doing X-Men annuals and I'm just buying those, you know, like, yeah, yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, the dark Knight is just coming out. It's yep. just, you know, like it's just there and yep. Watchmen is, you know, yep. and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles happen and like the black yeah. and white boom. And I think the, yeah. the turtles are the thing that gave everyone the idea that you could do it, you know, like, it, it's, it's true. Fact, you it's know, true. It, I mean like literally there's so many people who are just like, yeah, I love comic books. And then I saw the turtles and I'm like, Oh, I could just do this. Yeah, the way that the way that Eastman and Laird did their um, did a Mirage, really, yeah. really, because I've seen this, the, the documentary of the Ninja Turtles, and it was amazing. Yeah. Just the way that they um, really started up their own company, and then it just flourished into this phenomenon. Yeah. I thought yeah. it was awesome. And there was, and so I was there for the black and white boom, and it was mm -hmm. just like you know, I would just check out all this weird stuff. Uh, some of those guys have gone on to do like other things, and I've got to like meet them and like they post live, you know, in their lives since then. I'll be like, oh hey, you've got this, you know, like. Uh, barbaric tales from from you know 1985 or something or, or uh there's a book called moonstruck from white wolf press that came out in, in like 87 or something and like mm -hmm. you know alex shakeman still does work but he's just like i showed like i showed him a comic online he's like holy shit like i can't believe you have one of those <laughs> that's awesome. so, but I, like to me it's like that's the that was where the weird like you know cool experimentation was happening where the boundary pushing happened right right you know and marvel was kind of doing the same thing and i really like marvel comics You're like i you know um I was there right when, when mutants were really getting their popularity, mm -hmm. you know, when Wolverine was becoming like the defining X-Man. Mm -hmm. And then like, um, you know, cause Barry Windsor Smith does that, like kind of yeah. uh, that's that series in you know, like 205 to, to 207 or something. But um, yeah, I mean that those are, I, I would say that just being there at that time, like seeing, uh, you know, um, the Thor comics that were, you know, the, the, the thunder frog and like those, those, uh, you know, you know, Simon's and Thor. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like yeah. I bought that battery bill, like just going like, who's this guy, you know, just mm. randomly was like, you know, mm. like it wasn't like a big event or anything. It was just the issue of Thor that came out that, that, you know, and, and so I was just a little before the image guys, but when it was really good, you know, like I said, like Art Adams is doing X-Men annuals. I'm just like, oh, this guy draws pretty well. Oh, mm -hmm. he's doing a long shot miniseries. I like long shot. I'll buy that miniseries. You know, I, I was there for the new universe disappointment too. So 
yeah, it, it's just, uh, I would say just the, the timing is what got me into comics mm. overall. Just the, it was just everybody, you know, um, uh, Zach was doing that Punisher miniseries, you know, like, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. you know, the, the first one that came out before he had a series, his own ongoing series. So mm-hmm. I, I think, yeah, I think it was just a, a timing thing that, and, and it was also like an, in contrast to a lot of the other things that were being made for kids to consume, you know, um, but uh, yeah, you know, I also got the benefit of like, you know, G.I. Joe being on, on TV and He-Man being on TV mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, Robotech was being uh, syndicated at that time. Carl Masick had brought that to syndication. So I was watching, you know, some you know anime, which, you know, kind of, you know, primed me for like seeing Akira uh, at one of the like two or three theater showings it had what, like were in California. And I got to see Akira because like one of my comic booky friends was like, oh, I hear this is supposed to be good, you know, and just blew my mind you know so yeah it, that's it, akira is like one of those films that it's like visually it's amazing it's oh, like yeah, yeah. insanely amazing how like like visually beautiful that that anime film is yeah there's a really good appreciation of it on uh the guy nerd writer on youtube he does like mm-hmm. appreciations of like he'll do films or poems even and sometimes like uh you know uh, animations and stuff but he does a really good breakdown of like what's great about Akira uh, just because it's like they really use light mm-hmm. as, as like a, a, an expression of theme throughout the movie, you know, like the, the mm-hmm. synthetic neon lights of like the mm-hmm. city. And then at the end you get like the sun actually peeking through for the first time, you know, but yeah. Uh, yeah. Sorry, man. It, it's worth a look, but uh, I, yeah, I mean, I, I just, uh, there's a short, I guess the short answer is timing is what got me into comics. That's dope. That's dope. Um, I always tell people too, like, um, my gateway to acad- academia was Batman and animated series. Oh yeah. And um, that's how I started to fall in love with comic books because my favorite, my two favorite characters since I, well, three favorite like character comic book characters are Batman because of the Batman the animated series, Spider-Man because of ultimate Spider-Man and Mark oh, yeah. Wade and uh, Brian Michael Bendis. Like that, those two comics mm-hmm. really, and, and uh, those two forms were really, really good. And then Ninja Turtles too. Like I, I love the Ninja Turtles. Um, yeah. Donatello's my guy, <laughs> um, and uh, I've always been like uh, a fan of like the nerdy characters. Like, oh, like yeah, so yeah, that's yeah. why Donatello was always like my favorite because he was <laughs> all nerdy and stuff. Um, but like, really, the Batman the animated series is what really got me into the comic world, and that and I had a chance to meet Kevin Conroy at a, a Comic Con in San, San Antonio. Oh, nice. Um, and uh, I, I like nerded out hardcore in front of him. Uh, and I was like, you're the reason why I'm here. Thanks, man. Uh, and he goes, he, he was like so, so nice. He was super cool and super sweet. And just, he's like, wow, that's a really cool story. I never thought I would be like the reason why somebody's pursuing a PhD and something. I'm like, well, you're one of the many reasons. So thank you so much, you know? And so um, I think, I think I love hearing stories like that about how people got into um, their passion and something that, that, that they're so, uh, you know, something that they really care about. And I can tell that you really care about your work, you know? Uh, um, and I think that that is super, super cool. And speaking of comic books, um, your, your comic is about, uh, luchadores. Yes. And, um, I've always done the correlation of luchadores and and comic book characters going hand in hand because they're very colorful characters. Their stories about good and evil. And, um, they're just filled with all these like, like, drama it's always like drama like i've always thought of like even like wrestling nowadays like as uh kind of like telenovelas for male oh yeah for sure yeah <laughs> they're they're uh, it's operatic 
I told you know him. What I mean? it, it is a, it's a heightened reality. It's that, uh, like that Picasso, that the, the quote, the, uh, you know, art is a uh, lie that reveals the truth. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, you, you have to caricaturize reality to make some kind of point. And they, they're an extension of, uh, you know, the notion of identity, right? Cause they're mm -hmm. an assumed identity. And they're also so much so that, you know, um, there is no alter ego, right? Like there's Superman mm -hmm. without the Clark Kent. And, and, uh, yeah, I, I, I definitely, um, there is, I mean, there are, there are my heroes. Like I, you know, I talk about that in the Kickstarter. Like it's like one of the things like, you know, that's part of like the impetus for making the book was that like luchadors were being presented in American pop culture as like a punchline mm -hmm. as, uh, Mexican culture often is and Mexican people often are. And especially like Latino culture, you know, mm -hmm. especially Lucha Libre, like, you know, uh, there's a misrepresentation there's a uh fetishization of mexico's poverty and violence and silliness i want to say uh -huh. that that allows uh white people to be or some white people to be this uh patronizing benevolence too right mm. oh these silly people with their dead people holiday and these, yeah. these silly people with their you know with their yeah. uh they're they're uh, they're they're big dudes in in masks you know mm -hmm. outside the ring and and uh yeah man like i just kind of i was bummed out at the way like mexican culture is being portrayed in american pop culture right like, i was sick i mean as you read in the bonus material i was just yeah. sick of tone mexico right like we're all kind of mm -hmm. bummed out about that i'm done with like being defined by cuisines and cartels right like i can't mm -hmm. like we're more than burritos and drug lords like it's uh, true yeah and, and so i was just kind of bummed out about like uh about the about the way that especially like once and, and honestly it was just a bridge too far when i saw luchadors being like hitmans and oafs in movies you know and i'm like no 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 no, no, no you've gone too far it's like yes we have cartels yes we have the day of the dead you know yes we have like you know things that you might consider macabre or or goofy or whatever mm -hmm. but those are my heroes you don't yeah, you don't yeah. talk about el santo that way yeah yeah that guy was a legend you know and so i it's my pushback you know like so mm -hmm. i wanted to show them as like uh, as the heroes I knew them to be, but I you know in studying kind of and doing this project and in putting the, the story together and exploring the notion of identity and destiny, as framed by this heightened, elevated kind of like identity of a luchador who sacrifices their inherent person persona to be an assumed persona defined entirely by deeds, right? Mm -hmm. um, which I think is a very uh, resonates culturally with Mexico Mexicans in general. Like we have, uh, I, I talk about this a lot, but like we have a a tenuous relationship with identity, right? Because mm -hmm. we all, you know, 80 some odd percent of Mexicans are mestizos or Chicanos are mestizos or mixed. So we're as uh, Spanish as we are uh, indigenous, right? So mm -hmm. we have the, the skin color of the conquered, but the last names of the conquerors. And, and, uh, and that's, you know, so our inherent identity is complicated, right? It's like, you know, right. I can say that I'm a victim, but like, I'm also the victimizer. I can, you know, mm -hmm. and so, uh, and this is, I should say that that stratification of kind of identity precedes uh, Hernan Cortez, right? Like mm -hmm. the, the Aztecs were subjugating entire groups of people and putting them in, in caste systems that could only have certain jobs. The reason, you know, the reason that it persisted is because the when the conquistadors showed up, they just ported their system on top of the indigenous one. They're like, oh, you've got your systems of undesirables to worthy people. We'll just foist our Pope on top of that. And then you guys can, you know, and so they had their, uh, you know, you had your mestizos and your curillos and your actual mm -hmm. Spaniards and all of that. And they could only have certain jobs. But because that existed so long, we have a very complicated relationship with like who you are. Yeah, definitely. Defining what you could do. And mm -hmm. then suddenly we're free, right? Mm -hmm. Now we can just do whatever. And so we abandon the idea of who you are because we've been mm -hmm. victimized by that for so right. long. 
And so a lot of our heroes become faceless, right? Like mm -hmm. we have Zorro, we have, mm -hmm. uh, you know, who's a masked man who is, who's, who's, you know, forsaken his birthright to do, to be noble, to actually, mm -hmm. you know, he, he, the irony of, of Zorro is he forsakes his birthright as a nobleman to actually do noble deeds. Right, you know, right. Kind of funny. And then we have like, you know, in the 60s, there was a comic, uh, one of the best-selling comics in, in, in Mexico was Invisible Man comic, mm. right? Like he, he literally, the main character isn't there. He is only his effect in the world. Right. And so the luchador completely obscures who he inherently is, what his intrinsic mm. value might or might be perceived as, and he completely defines himself by action. It's mm -hmm. just what he does. That person that you know nothing about, who's been obscured by a mask, who just is the mask, completely assembles their identity by what they're doing in the ring by by you know by asserting their good guyness but not just saying they're a good guy uh, you know technical mm -hmm. or saying they're a bad guy rudel but actually doing those things right mm -hmm. and so um yeah i mean we're we're a people of, of action i was pointing out to someone earlier today like even our language is different like the, the american wrestling is very much about ego right it's yeah. about uh it's about imposing it's like being mm -hmm. big and strong and imposing mm -hmm. on people Lucha Libre is about agility and, and, and leverage, right? Mm -hmm. it's, about, it's about what you do and not who you are. Mm -hmm. and, um, and even our language kind of like, I think that resonates because like, you know, Spanish, the verb comes first. What is being done is more yeah. important than the, sub, than the person doing mm -hmm. it. In English, it's subject first. Who, who is doing it is more important right. than what is being done, right? At least in how it comes out. So I think just culturally we're, we've been, you know, acclimatized to, to put, you know, for various reasons, you know, we, we put action ahead of identity and then our identity inform or our, our identity is completely informed by our action as opposed to the other way around that happens in America. And so that was a, a, a mindset that I've always kind of had that I wanted to like examine under this lens of like Lucha Libre being the most important thing in this world mm -hmm. and the whole world being predicated on it, on this kind of morality play, you know, sans identity that goes, that, that it plays out in front of like mm -hmm. it, as, as champions and proxies for everybody in that world, like, like the stakes, you know, the, the emotional stakes of that are completely heightened. So that was my kind of, you know, the, the, the pieces I set up to then explore mm -hmm. like what, what could and couldn't happen in those. And I, it's, it's important to me to kind of see the, um, the emotional through line of ethos culturally for, for, uh, Chicanos for, for Mexican, Latinos and Latinx, Definitely. whatever, you know, because there, there are through lines that people kind of, you know, like in, 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 a, a, in just like an emotional, you know, like resonance kind of like what, what resonates with us as a people? Like, what do we, you know, we like, and we have mass warriors going back to the, the Mayans and the Aztecs and the Olmecs and the Toltecs. They mm -hmm. all, you know, they had mass warriors and the, you know, they had the Jaguar and Eagle warriors. The Aztecs yeah, yeah. They, they, they assumed the, uh, they embodied the the spirit animals that they were you know putting the mask on a bit to, to be and there there is a, a power in mass in that like you start you know because people treated them like what they were dressed up as they rose to be those things they were being treated as right so that kind of like uh, assumption and appropriation of an identity to to elevate oneself you know something that kind of goes through our culture you know it's like it's just one of those things that like you know when you kind of look at like um what we've been into for centuries back to mesoamerica mm -hmm. You know, it's like you see why we have, you know, why, why we got where we, we are, you know, like there are the, the you know, like, um, like our obsession with the Virgin Mary, right? Like not obsession with, but you know, like yeah, why the Virgin Mary was on the first Mexican flag, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, as opposed to Jesus. Mm -hmm. uh, because going back to like, you know, the, the original, like the Aztecs and the Mesoamericans, they had, you know, Kualique, who's mm -hmm. a birth mother. Like we have, yeah. a, we have a tradition of mother goddess mm -hmm. birthing other gods. Like yeah, Kualique yeah. gives birth to Quetzalcoatl and, and to, uh, you know, um, 
his brother, the God of War. He, he I can't remember his name now. Shit, another uh, name I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, I, I remember. I remember that breakdown of it too. Um, I, and like we were just talking about it before we we started recording. Uh, <laughs> Gloria Antaldúa's Borderlands. Like she has this whole breakdown of that too. And I like I didn't know that. You know, I didn't know that La Virgen de Guadalupe like mm-hmm. came from uh like aztec uh like gods too and, and mythology and all that too and well, it's a lot like, of how it's a lot of how cool. we got converted to christianity is they yeah, did, yeah. like our caste system they mm-hmm. just ported over their religion to ours they were like because yeah. you know which is why we have things like the day that because you know they mm-hmm. like oh we have all souls day and you guys have your feast of yom samil who's this death god you know like oh we'll just right. that's just, it's like so when they're explaining it to the the natives they're like oh it's just like your holiday they're like oh okay cool well we know how to celebrate mm-hmm. that yeah, take food to the graves and stuff I'm like well not really but you keep doing what you're doing you know it's like <laughs> it's like you know they're talking about jesus and then they, they suddenly they mention mary they're like oh yeah we mm-hmm. understand a mother who birthed other gods yeah, yeah. yeah. Calique, you know Calique becomes uh mm-hmm. becomes mary right or, yeah, yeah. or uh you know like they have their whole host of saints and we had our whole host of like deities and they're just mm-hmm. you know like a one-to-one swap on them where we're like oh, okay well your luck god becomes our luck god and you know mm-hmm. so like saint patrick becomes you know whatever mayan god or aztec god he used to be so you know it's, it's much the way that the um the romans took over the greek gods right they just they ported it's like well we have our god that does this sort of and yeah, it's just yeah, like yeah. your you know messenger god he's just like your god you know, aries becomes your you know pluto and what ha- you know it's just yeah, yeah. like that like kind of cross-culturation it has but it has to resonate right like that's yeah, the definitely. thing is like it has to make sense to the people who are asked to kind of accept the new thing and so mm-hmm. you can't just give them a whole new pantheon of stuff which is why some of those mesoamerican traditions get folded into Christianity and you end up with that kind of like, you know, weird uh, paganistic approach to, you know, Christian or Catholicism that way, you know, like I've got my, my Nana's little Santos in my room now. Cause she mm-hmm. had, she had that row of deities that, you know, they're, it's all like, you know, it's like the San Martin and like the Nino de Atocha. Yeah. 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 And so, you know, San Judas, yeah, you know yeah, exactly. all those. Yeah. I get that. St. Anthony, you know, and we're getting yeah, yeah, little yeah. dishes in front of them that you would leave money in and stuff. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's like, I just, I just have the saints. I don't have the, uh, I don't have the little any. candles too. Yeah. Uh, no, I don't have any candle. Yeah. I did for a while, but my, yeah. my Nana did for sure. But it's just, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, it, it is that, uh, but, uh, so anyway, yeah. I mean, so again, that kind of, you know, the, the, uh, the costume champion of mm-hmm. Mesoamerica, the Eagle Warriors and the Jaguar Warriors, mm-hmm. you know, uh, kind of go away. And I'm sure they live on through, you know, kind of in the, the back of our psyche. But then, you know, like wrestling happens in America in, mm-hmm. in Salvador Lutero Gonzalez kind of wants to port that into, into Mexico. And he has the brilliant idea of like, I'm going to throw, you know, masks on these guys. Like, you know, mm-hmm. we like masks, you know, yeah, and then it, yeah. it, it just clicked culturally with us as a people we're like mm-hmm. you know and it is one of the few things that like could identify us as a culture right like mm-hmm. the luchador which is rare you know like um like uh canada has its mounties you know what i mean right. and uh you know other countries might you know like england has its knights right mexico has luchadores like you tell me one other like you know because like a you can get your you know um the guerros or you know but america's yeah. got cowboys you know what i mean like yeah, there's yeah. a lot of like kind of you know Nothing says Mexico like a luchador, you know. What I mean? yeah, yeah, it is one one thing that you know is one of the few things that is quintessentially Mexican, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah. And so when it comes to you know, like we were talking about before, like kind of my my life is like a, a pocho or a Chicano, and this kind of Americanized Mexican, like being able to explore that part of my identity as a tale about identities was was a 
interesting thing to do. And then the more that I kind of got into the cultural background of it and the kind of resonant ethos of it that, mm-hmm. that echoes back into, you know, millennia back in the time, I was like, now oh, this is, this is kind of important. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I should note that it is just dudes and mass beating on each other. Like my comic is, <laughs> is not super preachy. It's not, uh, you know, you're, you're going to get no Grant Morrison, like lecture on spiral dynamics in my comic. I'm not explaining this to you, you know, like, <laughs> This is the this is the background that was in my head when I decided to kind of explore the idea of, you know, destiny versus identity and like mm-hmm. what it means to have a destiny, right? Like so, in as much as the, his character is La Mano del Destino, his 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 name is the the hand of destiny. The story itself is about the hand of destiny at work in his mm-hmm. life. Yeah, and those those things that got set up that he didn't know were being set up in the beginning mm-hmm. that end up paying off at the end, and then ultimately, what does one do to escape their destiny, right? Like I'm always fascinated by that. Uh, that Iranian fable, the death in Tehran, where mm-hmm. the, uh, you know, you know, are you familiar with the story? Um, I think so I the, might've heard it like ooh, a while back. Yeah. So this, uh, it, it's basically the notion is how often one meets their destiny on the road that they take to avoid it. So, uh-huh. you know, th- in the middle of the desert, there's a small town in, in, uh, in Iran and, uh, this, uh, there's this wealthy landowner who has some servants and stuff. And one of his servants comes to him and says like, Oh man, like I saw, I saw death in the market and he was like coming for me. Like mm-hmm. you got to help me out. And he was a loyal servant. So I tell you what, like here, take my fastest horse, take a bunch of money. I want you to ride to Tehran, which is like a hundred miles away. Mm-hmm. Just get away from death. Like I'll make sure he, he stays away from the cool the guy gets on this fast horse. He takes off. And then the, the rich man goes to the market and he sees death there as well. And he's like, Hey, what are you, what are you doing? Hassling my servant? It's like, Oh, I wasn't bothering him. I was just surprised because I'm supposed to meet him tomorrow in Tehran. Mm-hmm. So it's that kind of like, you know, no matter what you do, yeah. you're doing the thing that will fulfill your destiny. It's like the right. Oedipus thing, right? Like, you know, he's, he's told he's going to kill his father and marry his mother, so they get rid of him. And the getting rid of him is what leads him to the circumstance yeah. that allows him to kill his father and marry his mother. So I, I wanted that kind of like, you know, if every step you make is toward your destiny because it's your destiny, mm-hmm. what can you do to change that, you know? And, and so I ultimately end up with what I end up with in the book, you know, which was is the kind of explaining what it, and like, I don't want to give it away yeah, here, yeah, but there's, yeah. there's like, you know, here, here's what it takes to escape your destiny, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. And I, I love the framework of like Luta Libre being able to, to, to get me there because again, it was a, it's a very specific kind of destiny, mm-hmm. you know, which is a little bit of performative identity, right? Like, you know, Definitely. a thing very near and dear to a lot of, you know, Latinx peoples, especially those in America. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, there's levels of engagement with it. You know, you can, read it because it's dudes and mass beating on each other. You can read it because it has commentary on like class structures. Mm-hmm. You can read it because it's, it's got commentaries on structures in general. Like that's the yeah. thing that I love about Lucha Libre is that it's performance art that extends beyond the ring, right? It's Definitely. an invitation for you to partake in a constructed narrative outside the bounds of the place it's supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. But it's also points of light at like, you know, oh, all identity is made up. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's like yeah. if, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna acknowledge that this person is this character outside the ring, it's like that's all I do with acknowledging that this guy is important. That's all I mm-hmm. do with acknowledging that this person is, isn't mm-hmm. important. You know, like all, all all identity is a construct, right? And right. and, and uh, but then again, all identity is a construct. You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah, that's, yeah. that's my kind of thing. It's like you know, yeah, it's, it's all bullshit. Like, can we swear? Sorry, I'm not even. No, swear? it's all good. Go for okay, it. Go yeah, for yeah. it. So like my, my thing, you know, is, is to say is. They like to say to people is like, yeah, it's all bullshit, but mm-hmm. it's all bullshit. So yeah, you yeah. Have to, so you know, it's, like the bigger picture of it is like, hey, this, yeah, this, yeah, I, yeah. I, I mean, it's 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 all made up and bullshit, but yeah, yeah it's all bullshit. So <laughs> so take take 
you can do with that what you will. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. if it's all, you know, money, money's made up, but yeah, it's all made up, you know? So yeah. like, uh, yeah. So I, uh, I, you know, there's a, there's a terror and a freedom in all of that. Right. Like mm-hmm. I, identity is completely within my control, but then it's like, Oh damn, identity is completely within my control. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I, I definitely wanted to do some of that. Um, so that's, you know, that's all in the book, but only very below the surface. And just yeah. kind of, it was my headspace when I was making it. And, you know, like people like you and Aldama do definitely pick up on those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. But man, like a 13 year old kid just like, Oh, that was cool. When he, you know, like flung that guy out of the ring and hit the guy with the other guy, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. yeah there, there's, there's something for everyone. I want to say. One thing that I find interesting about the luchador and also Mexican culture, especially mm-hmm. like, like someone like myself, who's from the border, right. Mm-hmm. That there's always this sense of dual identity, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I think this also happens with like comic book characters too, as you mentioned, the, there's the, there's the sense of like, um, who they really are without the mask and who they are with the mask. Right. And also, and then like in terms of Mexican identity, they're like, am I Mexican enough? Am I not Mexican enough? Especially being Mexican American. I think this is something that, that we, we all kind of have that, like, like, um, are, are we Mexican enough? Are we not Mexican enough? Are we American yeah. enough? Not American enough? And I think there's that dual um that i guess dualistic um i like to think of it as like a weird liminal space that we all uh-huh. kind of you know operate uh-huh. in it's like we're we're in this we're you know we're in that in between land yeah yeah and uh and i think that the i think another reason that we gravitate toward luchadores mm-hmm. is because you know we've got the you know the american side of us that has to be performatively american right yeah, yeah. and then we also have like the latino side in us that has to be performatively latino. the luchador uh, it resonates with us as heroes because we just he just leans into one side. He just goes, "Look, this the mask. That is me. The guy inside here doesn't matter." Yeah, you know, because the mask is the thing that that ultimately is agency. You know, mm-hmm. it's like you make the decision to put it on, yeah. and then you make every decision of of how you want to act to be that person. And so, I think that's why we like they're admired, right? It's like, mm-hmm. oh, there's a guy who's made a decision to be Superman and not ever have Clark Kent, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, there is those, those private moments, but I think that those, the person he is, is literally representative of an internal life, right? Like we, mm-hmm. you know, you're not, you're not your intentions. Like no one's going to judge you on what you wanted to do. Mm-hmm. They're going to judge you on what you did, mm-hmm. you know? And I, I think that that is, that is a powerful, like, you know, obliteration of the, the internal, like what intent and is, just says no i'm only my effect and i mm-hmm. i think i think that's admirable uh i i think that a lot of people uh get caught up in what they wanted to do and not what they actually did you know i mean it was, right it, it you know you hear people explaining why they did the wrong thing all the time like i just thought that like what well, doesn't matter what you thought or what you wanted to do what you did was you know x y or yeah, z yeah, so yeah. um yeah and, and i think that uh i think that yeah again i think that liminal space that we that we operate in as, as you know chicanos or you know latinx or marginalized or you know, whatever, uh, you know, performative identity we want to, we want to be mm-hmm. in it. I think that the vacillation between one side or the other, you know, A is exhausting and yeah. it's a, it's a weird calculus that we all have to do at every moment of every day. Mm-hmm. But I think that like, if anything, real white privilege is just not having to do that math all the day, every damn yeah, day, yeah. you know, like, is this guy a threat because I am Brown? Do mm-hmm. I need like how, you know, it's like that, mm-hmm. like, just having to navigate that every, you know, a thousand times a day mm-hmm. is exhausting. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. And, and, and so I think uh, just, you know, these guys who just put the mask on and go, no, I am this mm-hmm. like 
boom, you know, like whatever it is, and it's outside your expectation, and it's you know, and it is, uh, you know, it, it is uh, a deviation to a degree from from a norm, but it is a reaction to it. You know what I mean? It's like I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna have an alter ego. I only have this thing now. So mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I, I, I think again, like I said, I, I think that's why it resonates with us. I think that, yeah. that, that, uh, that switching, that code switching the code back switch. and forth. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah uh, is exhausting and seeing someone who just flips the light on and then breaks the switch. It's like, Oh that, yeah, that yeah, guy. Yeah. I love that guy. Cause he doesn't care. You know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. that's, um, uh, that's my take on it. That's awesome. That's awesome. But I'm not like a sociologist. That's just my kind of, I should I, say I that about all of, yeah, yeah, all of I, these are just kind of my, my, what I've observed, you know, like, like mm. the, my whole, you know, like mass lawyers going back and my whole uh, tenuous relationship with that. Like, these are all just things that I've observed. They're not like, I've, I have talked to other academics about the kind of, you know, realities, but I don't, psychologically, I don't, you know, like I can't validate my, I haven't published any papers on it. I guess. You know what? I, I always tell people this. I always tell people that, and this is the reason why I created this podcast too, mm-hmm. is that. I, you don't have to have a paper that says I'm a PhD and it to be like, to, to say like you do research and all this other stuff, you know, it's like, it's just a, it's just a paper, you know what I mean? Initially it's just a paper and a title, but initially like the fact that you do all this research and that you do um, all this background information too, it's like, and the fact that like, like right now what you said, it was like deep, it was dope. I loved it. You know? Oh, thanks man. It's like, you know, you know, it, it's, a PhD is just a paper and a title. You know what I mean? Yeah, it just yeah. means that we, we went to school a couple more extra years. But, you know, <laughs> means you owe it, a couple extra grand than I do, right? <laughs> I, I don't know about that. I don't know. About yeah, that. I, don't know. Okay. <laughs> I, I haven't gotten there yet. I haven't gotten okay, there yet. Yeah. Haven't, um, hit the total, haven't hit the total yeah, button yet. Yeah, I'm yeah. still on the bottom of the totem pole. <laughs> All right, gotcha. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, I, I, I think that, that, you know, if you're passionate about something, you're going to do, do the deep dive research and you're going to use that passion to drive you. You know what I mean? And I think that's the cool part about being passionate about something. And, you know, um, if you really care about a subject matter, you'll, you'll do the, you'll do the work, you'll read about it and you'll, you know, it's, it's something that's near and dear to you. You'll, you'll do it. You know what I mean? And I think that's the oh, yeah. cool thing about like the work that you do, uh, Gonzo. I think that, that that's some dope stuff, man. And, um, um, going back to the subject matter of the mask, though, there's, um, okay. um, I, I think there's a lot of interesting things that the mask itself is very powerful. Oh, yeah. the, the, the symbol of the mask is very powerful because um, when I think of luchadores, too, I think mm-hmm. of how, um, and even the ones who are unmasked, too. So, mm-hmm. like, um, the one that resonates a lot with me because of being from El Paso is Eddie Guerrero. Oh, okay, right? yeah, yeah. And, um, and, and Rey Mysterio yeah. are the ones that, mm-hmm. you know, I'm like, huge about. And there's like um, La Parca and all those other, like, mm-hmm. besides El Santo and uh, Blue Dimon and all of them, you know, those are the classics. But, mm-hmm. you know, the, the masks themselves and luchadores have um, a sense of honor and pride, mm-hmm. you know. And I think that you show that within the book, too. You know, even like, you, you did a great job in showcasing, like, there's a sense of pride and honor that, comes with being a luchador it's not just winning about about championships and all that other stuff but there's a sense of pride and honor that comes with it too and even the symbol of the mask like like it's a huge deal if somebody becomes unmasked within oh yeah uh, yeah well you never get to be that person again exactly that's those are the rules like Mm -hmm. and that's like Mm -hmm. and that's a real thing like that's not Mm -hmm. a Mm -hmm. you know because you can't put that genie back in the bottle right like you can't have someone unmasked and then like you know people have seen him now so there's Mm -hmm. no you, you can't, you can't, there's no mystery anymore. The, the yeah. spell is, is, is uh, broken, broken at that point. And, and uh, so, yeah, I mean, it, and to me, 
I, uh, you know, in the book, I do the honor of, uh, I never show a, a luchador who gets his mask removed. I never show mm-hmm. him barefaced. Yeah. Like when the three bells take their masks off, mm-hmm. like I, I do, I crop them so you can't see their faces. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, you're never going to see La Mano without his mask. I mean, there right. is history where you see him as a kid and he doesn't, mm-hmm. but once the mask goes on, he's never shown with the mask off, even yeah. though, you know, there's that scene where, you know, one of the things I wanted to show was the importance of the mask. And in issue one, I do that, those three panels where he's in the shower mm-hmm. and outside the shower, you see that there's the mask and the towel. Mm-hmm. And then in the next panel, the mask is gone. And then the next panel, the, the towel is also gone. So it's like, he's naked. And so for him to feel not naked, mm-hmm. the first thing he puts on is the mask. the mask. Then he puts the towel on, you know? So, yeah, um, yeah I mean, it, it's, it's, it's every win, it's every loss, it's every action is in that mask. And it all goes away if it comes off. And so, mm-hmm. I mean, that, that is a, um, you know, that's a precarious thing to have your personality and identity you know, affixed to you in a way that can be removed. And I think that we all have that, right? We all have in some way, there are secrets that we keep, you know, that deep down that are, you know, the, the, the bare face mm-hmm. that, uh, that can be exposed that we could never recover from, right? And I think mm-hmm. that there's, there's a uh, allegory to be drawn there that, that, that resonates with all peoples, right? Like we all don't want to be exposed in a way that we don't want to be exposed. And, and, um, and I go to great lengths to show great deference to the mask. Like I hate in, in, movies or cartoons or whatever where the luchadors are constantly taking their mask off that's why there's never going to be a lamano movie because a they would have mm-hmm. to put some big star to be lamano mm-hmm. and b he would take his mask off every five seconds mm-hmm. unless you want to make dread or the mandalorian like i yeah, think maybe yeah. now maybe now you could but in the past it's like oh well, we'd have to get like some big latino actor to play lamano mm-hmm. and then we'd want to see his face like oh at home he could have like and i would just all i would do is fight with the studio and be like no 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 yeah, no yeah, never yeah. i mean there's I've had people, you know, again, you're in the Lucha Libre world. People know you're in the Lucha Libre. You get sent a lot of Lucha Libre stuff. Mm-hmm. There's video of El Santo taking his mask off because uh, mm-hmm. a week before he died. So he retired just shy of 67, I think, mm-hmm. or 66. A year later, he'd been kind of a recluse. A year later, he goes on national TV. Um, he's like almost 60, I think 67 at this point. Uh, and nobody knows this, like that. There's, no one's expecting it. He just takes his mask off kind of out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And then he died like 10 days later. Wow. Yeah, it's like it was like his his bare faced like here's here's all of me and mm-hmm. then he was gone. It's a beautiful thing, but it can be seen. And I've had people send me a link to it, and I always mm-hmm. just reply back. I'm like, I'm not looking at this. Mm-hmm. Like I don't need to see that. Yeah. That guy, that dude under there, mm-hmm. doesn't like doesn't matter to me. Like yeah. I don't like it's not like he he's not El Santo. Like the mask, the guy, ev- mm-hmm. everything together, that is El Santo. You know. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, man, I mean, I have a great deference for it, and and uh, and. And I, I really like a lot of what I do in the book mm-hmm. is to show that, 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 you know, that these, the things that we can make to define us are precious mm-hmm. and worth protecting. Definitely. And also, you know, they're a, they are a, a thing of beauty, right? Like they're, they are peacocking to a degree, right? They are these yeah, yeah. beautiful things. And I think that, you know, part of, again, one of the reasons I did the book was, um, was to showcase the, the, the pageantry and, and the beauty of it. And, you know, I've, I've said this a few times to a few different people, but like, as a, a minority in America, as a marginalized person to some degree, mm-hmm. we, have, uh, we have two kind of avenues of, of, of asserting our identity. You know, mm-hmm. One is fighting our fight, right? Like mm-hmm. the Susan Travis's, the, the Lord's with us. Like there is that, that and that, that will afford us rights. Like mm-hmm. fighting your fight gets you rights. But there is also ex- expressing our beauty. Mm-hmm. Right? And expressing our beauty affords us dignity. And so I think we need both. We need rights and dignity. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, and we can fight for one, 
but we can only create our own with the other. Like, you know, definitely. And so I want to showcase, you know, the, the beauty of the culture that we're fighting to, to keep mm-hmm. alive and vital. You know what I mean? Like, like mm-hmm. it's like, and, 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 like, I'm not besmirching anyone who's out there marching and protesting and fighting our fight and trying to get kids out of cages. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm all about that, man. But it's like beyond our, our victimhood, you know, we run the risk of being this mono narrative, right. Of, of, mm-hmm. you know, poor Mexican who's being ravaged by cartels and they're and like, man, like, no, like these are the other things. This is the, yeah, yeah. that, that, that we're fighting for, you know, again, we're, we're so much more than, than cuisine exactly. and cartels, you know, we're, exactly. we're not, we're more than burritos and, and drug lords. So, uh, yeah, man, that, that, that was my, uh, you know, and, I, and to me, there's nothing more beautiful than, than the, than the, the pageantry of Lucha Libre and the pageantry and, and beauty of the mask mm-hmm. and, and the sacrifice that it represents, right? The yeah, obliteration definitely. of ego, you know, and it's like, yeah, there, here's, there's nobility, there's beauty, there's grace, and there's champions mm-hmm. all right there, you know, and like, that's what we're fighting for. So when we fight our fight, you might think this is silly because you've made it silly, but I'm telling you, now there's a reason that thousands upon thousands of people cram into arenas every weekend mm-hmm. and little parking lot shows and all of <laughs> yeah, that yeah. and cheer for their, their champion mm-hmm. because you know, that's a, that's a, 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 it's a deep thing to be championed, right? Mm-hmm. To feel like you have someone to fight for you. So mm-hmm. there, there's my answer. Sorry. That was I love, no, no, it was awesome. I loved it. I loved it. And it's, it's just, it's so much rich history like that come with, the luchador, you know, like you said, it's a real, it's a symbol that, that really is iconic within the culture. You know, yeah. it really is. Um, so I, one of the things that I was curious about, because I started to notice like a lot of these different nu- nuances and aesthetics that are within mm-hmm. your comic um, and being the comic book fan that I am too, I was like, I had to ask this. So I was curious, <laughs> like, I noticed like influences of Jack Kirby, like the, oh. the perspectives for sure. And oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the lines that you use, the thick lines, like yeah. I noticed that and um, that, that was very uh, Kirby-esque. And oh, also sure. um, the, the Silver Age, like uh, even the 1960s Batman uh, with the onomatopoeias popping out, like yeah, uh, yeah. bam, crack and all that other stuff. I thought that was super dope. And, well, obviously, and obviously the Luchador, uh, Lucha Libre films like Blue Demon and uh, El Santo with the suits and everything, like the luchadores with the mask and the suits. Oh, yeah. Um, nothing, there's there. nothing better in the world than a luchador in a suit. Like, that to me <laughs> is just like, you know, like, the, again, it's that acceptance of kayfabe outside the ring where he just, like, mm-hmm. when they go to weddings, when they go to functions, like, yeah. when El Santo's in a movie, he still has his mask on. He's playing a secret agent, and he has a mask on. It's like, you know, the, the bad guy's trying to figure out who the spy is. I'm like, it's true. I don't know, maybe it's the guy in the silver mask, you know? Like, yeah, so anyway. Yeah. But, like, um, yeah, man, like, all of those things. So, like, I love Silver Age storytelling i love silver age comics I love jack kirby especially i mean that's mm. that's obvious in my work um the the uh mostly because they had kind of you know in the 60s jack kind of figures it all out right like like to me you're kind of um you're trying to overcome the limitations of the medium mm-hmm. by being something that is specific to the medium which is like mm-hmm. such a great like like you know the the comic is still so you have to create motions and so there's there's you know there's speed lines and there's like motion lines and there is like, uh, and the, the comic, the page itself is flat. So you have to create depth. So you get forced perspective mm-hmm. and you get, you know, uh, uh, you know, the way that, that Jack renders things with like some deep shadows and then bright mm-hmm. highlights. And, and, uh, and, and, you know, it, and it's also part of like making a comic is you have to be quick. So everything's abbreviated, right? So it's mm-hmm. all kind of your style. It's, it's more gesture than it is anatomy lesson, right? Like no, no one looks photorealistic, but there's an iconography to it that lets you know that that's the idea of a person more than it's a person. 
God, I got like a 20 minute lecture I do on that when I speak to like design classes and stuff. Anyway, um, and then uh, and then the the Silver Age, you know, fits the story because to me the heyday of the Luchador is the 60s when El Santo, Rudimon, Mil Mascaras, like they're making movies. Like El Santo made like 60 movies in like a two year period. You know, it's like ridiculous how much movie he put out in such a short amount of time. But the thing that I liked about that is that much like their constructed reality of like the world of Lucha Libre, mm -hmm. the movies always showcase this Mexico that is straight up didn't exist. Everyone's got the newest everything. And it's all the houses mm -hmm. of the future. Like the apartment that, that El Santo and Budiman are in looks like a, like the Disney house of tomorrow. Everything's super sleek and streamlined. Yeah. It's like, so, you know, maybe someone had that one table or that one stove or that one, but this had everything was top of the line. And it was just, I love that kind of, um, alternate reality that they, you know, that they operated in, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and so I wanted to create this swanky jet age Mexico, you know, because you know, to me, it's like, well, because the luchadors were there, uh, Mexico got to be as prosperous as America, like post-World War II until we get to like 1965 here, where it's just, everything is just the, you know, it's a, it's an optimism for the future. And it's a, a, a it's a guileless optimism for the future, right? It's not ironic. It's not like, oh, like, you know, it is, it is a genuine guileless optimistic views of the future that we had, you know, in this country, definitely Mexico did that, mm -hmm. you know, that embraced it. And so the irony is that I'm now doing a retro futurist <laughs> view of the world, but it's still, you know, it, it's back when we still cared about what, like what we could do, like what mm -hmm. we could be, you know? And so I like, I like taking that world and creating this fictional world where Lucha Libre is like the most important thing that happened, where everything is swanky and new and the, the, the best that could possibly be. Mm -hmm. And where the luchadors get to like, just, you know, be rock stars and politicians all rolled into one, like, you know, and be champions for everybody, right? Like everyone's got their proxy, but like every decision of any kind is like settled by a luchador, you know, like, mm -hmm. um, it just seemed like a more uh, civilized world that I wanted to live in, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I wanted the comic to, to feel like it came out of the sixties because mm -hmm. it happened in the sixties. And so, you know, part of that is the imperfections of the printing process, right? You know, cause like yeah, back then yeah. flip and the black for 100% mm -hmm. they'd overprint everything. So I have to digitally go in and, and screw the comic up. You know, it's like, it's hard to make a shitty comic. than if I just <laughs> wanted it to be like nice and clean looking, my printer too, like thought I'd screwed up. The, he's like, or not, he thought he was screwing up. He's like, mm -hmm. Oh man, I like, this is picking here. I don't understand why this is off register. I'm like, no, 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 it's perfect. Like, I want it to look like, and then I explained to him, like, I'm trying to make it look, you know, old and, and kind of, you know, mm -hmm. and, and weathered. And I wanted it to seem like an artifact, a relic from a world that never existed, mm -hmm. you know? And it also wanted to give people an experience more than I wanted to just tell a story. Mm -hmm. So when you pick the comic up and you feel the newsprint, yeah. you smell the ink coming off mm -hmm. of it, it feels like an old comic book. And it's it telling you the story that happens in the sixties. And it just, you know, and the color palette is completely limited. So it's a curated reality. And it's, uh, um, you know, it's what I think James Updike called a, um, a confession of artifice. Like all, all work, all art wants to confess its artifice, right? Mm -hmm. And so in doing so, it allows you to engage with the story. I'm just telling you, this is made up. This is a mm -hmm. story. It's like, you know, it's like starting a story with this is a story and then telling you the story. And then it's like, you're less, you're less apt to be like, could that happen? Is that, re you know what I mean? And I feel like at some point comics started apologizing for being comic books. Mm -hmm. And they wanted to be more cinematic and they wanted to be grim and gritty and real, mm -hmm. you know, cause those are, you know, cheap shorthand for realism and cynicism. Yeah. And I don't buy it. And I'm just saying, nah, man, this is fun and it's made up and mm -hmm. it's, you know, so just yeah. enjoy it. And don't think too hard. Maybe, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, like don't worry about the economics of, of having your business's entire company on the line because your luchador is fighting its other guys. Like whatever. Yes. Yeah. It's probably not legal in a lot of States, whatever. But anyway, <laughs> just enjoy the, the, the fabricated reality. 
And so in confessing its artifice, it's free to be, to be what it is. Mm -hmm. And what it is is a comic book, right? And there's yeah. things that you can only do in a comic book, like, like the onomatopoeia, like a sound effect, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's, you know, but they're diegetic, right? Like in a lot of modern comics, the letter comes in after the fact and just kind of slaps sound effects on there. Even if they do sound effects, they've kind of fallen out of favor. But I'm just like, no, I want a big word that's like coming. Mm -hmm. It's like you can see the guy in front of the sound effect because that the sound is behind him mm -hmm. because the sound is diegetic. I want it to seem diegetic, like a part of the artwork. And uh, yeah, like I like my the, so the shortest answer to this is like when people ask me about it, I'm like, look, man, I make comic book ass comic books. Yeah, this, this is not my movie pitch. This is not my like. Let's make a TV series. Like, I don't I don't need realism in my comic books because mm -hmm. I've got real life. Like I got realism in my real life, right? Mm -hmm. You know what I don't have in my real life is a luchador. You know, fighting another luchador. You know, uh, mm -hmm. for the the fate of an entire society. You know what I mean? Like yeah, that's yeah. that's and that's all I want. Yeah. You know, it's like. When I talk about comic, you know, it's like, uh, I don't want, you know, my X-Men comics to have like realistic relationship issues because I have realistic relationship issues in my real life. What I don't have in my real life is a dude who shoots lasers out of his eyes. Yeah, so yeah. we get to the part where the guy shoots lasers out of his eyes. <laughs> it's escapism. It really yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it, and it should be, but you know, all stories are escapism, right? Because they're, they're edited, mm -hmm. right? They're all constructed. Even, mm -hmm. even documentaries are edited, right? Yeah. So yeah. They, there is an artifice there. They have been created. Mm -hmm. And so just stating that it's an artifice just being that kind of fake mm -hmm. allows you to engage with it on a real emotional level as opposed to measuring it against a fidelity to source material right mm. like i'm not trying to judge how well this apple looks like an apple i can just enjoy that it's unreal and the colors and the craftsmanship that went into it exactly as opposed to like comparing it's, it's like art isn't a test right mm. like you shouldn't be able to like just it's not just about looking at a thing and going oh that looks like a boat the boat looks like that. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, it's like, oh yeah, you won. You, you recognize it as a boat. Like, no, art is about conveying emotion. You yeah. know, the, the thing that I'm selling is a feeling and not necessarily the thing, the comic. The comic mm. is a conduit to get to that feeling. And so I'm trying to connect with people on an emotional level. I'm trying them to have a, an experience more than I want them to have 22 pages of paper that have art on them. You know what I mean? Like that's Definitely. just how I get them to have the experience. So I don't know how we got there, but I, I feel like I got off track a little bit. <laughs> Honestly, it's a great segue to um, one of my final questions. Okay. Is, um, so what do you plan on, I, I, you mentioned um, mm -hmm. this in, in, earlier in our conversation about a Spider-Man uh, power record, right? And, yes. Uh, and you've hinted in your social media that, you've, that you're thinking about doing this with uh, La, Mano, uh, La Mano. Yes. And so I, are, are, um, do you plan on uh, trying to do so, a power record like that and expanding the, uh, yeah, the, yeah. the mono universe? Yeah. So here's my, here's my, my plan on this. So I have, um, I've got at least two more arcs in me, two story mm -hmm. arcs, right? Oh, cool, cool, cool. So, uh, so there's, I, I know so there's, there's this one and uh -huh. there's the next one that I definitely have planned out. And there's, then there's how I know I want to end it. Okay. So, and I might do one or two more arcs between the second one and the last one. Okay. But if it's just three of them, I'm fine with that. But anyway, so uh, in this first issue, you know, he gets, he gets to kind of become, this is like him becoming who he's going to, who he is. Mm -hmm. And so he is kind of like, he's really not Lamano, like who, who he's going to be until the mm -hmm. very, like, until the very end of, of like the last issue, right? Like he's, right. you know, he's, he's still kind of trying to still be Ernesto at some point, And then he's also mm -hmm. trying to, you know, maybe be Petey. Like, you know, like there's, yeah. there is some conflict as to who he could be. Mm -hmm. And he makes the decision at the end of like, this is who I am. And he's Lamano. And, and, and all of that entails. So read the story, you can find out what that actually means. Um, but now that he's a luchador, he's famous. Mm -hmm. And so now that he's a champion, he's famous. And so of course he's gonna do things like movies and TV shows and have comic strips after him and toys yeah. and stuff. And so 
between this this series and the next one, what I'm going to do is uh, a I'm going to do a newspaper strip, nice. and it's it's online. It, it's it's uh, I think it's mono. Oh, geez, hold on. Let me look this up. Actually, I don't want to screw this up. Um, so on Instagram, and I'm just doing them on Instagram right now. Uh, so it is Destino underscore newspaper underscore strip. Okay. And that's that's the newspaper strip of La Mano del Destino. Now this isn't a continuation of the comic strip or the comic book. This is the newspaper comic strip that exists in the newspaper that Lamano reads in his world. Wow. So okay. it's, I like that. it's a slight interpretation <laughs> of him, right? So things that happen in like this issue, like he's gonna have like two pet jaguars like in his that live in his swanky apartment. Instead of having the house that he lives in, he lives in an apartment downtown. And it's like, you know, it's just an exaggeration of who he is. He's gonna like fight uh, you know, um jewel thieves and, and mm. evil scientists and stuff like that. And so uh, between this series and the next series, all of his comic strips will come out. And when the next series comes out, he'll have to contend with people who know him, who know him in quotation marks, mm-hmm. from having read the comic strips. And so they start to think the stuff they read in the comic strip is him. Mm-hmm. And they'll ask him about like, oh, how's Bruno? And then Francesca is his pet jaguars. He's like, Who's, I don't have pet jaguars. <laughs> like, that's insane. Like, why would I have, you know? So he's having to contend with this fictionalized version of him that lives in that world. So mm-hmm. he also is going to make movies. Mm-hmm. And so he's going to make, uh, he's going to make a movie about um, a spy movie where he goes yeah. to Tangiers and he, and he has, to, there's a whole, I got that all worked out. And he also makes a movie where he, uh, he's in a giant robot fighting a giant monster. That's awesome. And, and uh, they're going to do a comic book adaptation of those and do a power record of that comic book adaptation. So the record so is, meta. The record is an adaptation of a movie that never got made within the world of the comic book, but it allows me to do so because I wanted the world to kind of, the only weird thing I wanted in this world was a little bit of like magic, like the mysterious power he gets and stuff, like people's mm-hmm. ability to kind of like, you mm-hmm. know, their, their, their power is predicated on the people they control kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But I never really, I'm not going to get in the midichlorian, dude. It's never going to mm-hmm. get defined more than mysterious power. Mm-hmm. And then that, that luchadors are these uh, proxies for everything, right? Mm-hmm. So those are like, I, I don't want, like, I don't want uh, monsters or zombies or aliens or anything to show up, but he can make a monster movie. He can make mm-hmm. a zombie movie. He can make an alien movie. Mm-hmm. And those can be part of the canon because they're the movie within the movie, right? So, mm-hmm. um, you know, much like I have the cartoon, because they're famous, there's a cartoon of them in the comic book, and you get to see images of the cartoon. Mm-hmm. But you also get to see the disconnect between how the events are being recorded in the cartoon versus how they've happened in the real world. And so not only are they a commentary on the comic, there are commentary on commentaries because you can see the disconnect and the kind of mm-hmm. disnification and like glossiness that they had, you know, yeah. Oh, he was kind of mean in reality. He's trying to like break his arm off. Right. So, um, so in as much as that, like the movies will be a commentary on the zeitgeist of the people within the world based on how they're made. Right. Like, you know, cause you can tell a lot about America by the fact that like, you know, uh, Superman v. Batman or, you know, yeah. made a ton of money. Right. Like that says yeah. a lot about us as a people. Like you watch that movie, you're like, Oh, oh so Americans like this, huh? Like that, that says a lot about Americans, right? So you can watch these movies and then see a lot about the people that live in the world based on these things that are popular there. But mm-hmm. then I also get to do a thing like a, an audio recording on a record that has a comic book that comes with it that is mm-hmm. the, the, the comic book adaptation of the movie that he made in the world. And again, it's the thing that he'll have to deal with in the next series of comics was having, you know, having to go make a movie and having been gone mm-hmm. for a while. Like just the, you know, it, it, it's metafiction, but it also allows me to kind of comment on the world indirectly That's by awesome. being metafiction so yeah and it's honestly it's a shit you can only do in a comic book man you know what mm-hmm. i mean because like in a movie you can't really have i mean I, i've seen very few times where they put movies within movies right like adaptation is mm-hmm. probably the best example of that where he's trying to make a movie in a movie they didn't, mm-hmm. there's a lot of movies about trying to make them but like um 
you know, aside from like angels with dirty faces from Home Alone, you know, it's like you mm-hmm. don't get a lot of uh, <laughs> Home Alone too. You don't get a lot of movies within movies. But I like I like the idea that you know you know he's he's famous in his world. So you mm-hmm. know, it, it is those. Uh, it, it's fun to be able to do that, and and because I'm a one man show, I can just do I can just do dumb stuff like that. You know, you can create your own universe and exactly what you're doing, and that's the fun yeah, part yeah. about it. Absolutely. So that that's kind of what's next. So um, you know, people want to follow that Instagram account now that I'm kind of in this Kickstarter mode, trying to get my comic funded, I'm going to start, I have a few pencil, I just need to ink them and get them up. I didn't, I, it's, it's announced in the, the trade paperback itself. Mm-hmm. There's, there's mention of the, 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 um, the newspaper strip. So I want to let people know uh, if this Kickstarter is well enough, I might tack on the record as a, uh, as an add on and, and like a uh, stretch goal, mm-hmm. you know, um, if not, I might just do it as its own Kickstarter. I mean, mm-hmm. honestly, at this point, kind of because of the state of the world, Mm-hmm. And shipping has become kind of a weirdness. I really, uh, my Kickstarter is very tailored to all fit in one envelope. Like mm-hmm. my, my prints are small because I didn't, didn't want to have to put shipping tubes. My mask will fit in there. So like anything you buy on this Kickstarter is probably all coming in one envelope. Cool. Because that's all I really trust the post office for right now because right. shipping anything has become problematic. I only, I mean, you know, yeah, it yeah. stops in November. So who knows where we're going to be? You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. Just, so I'm, I'm trying to keep it as easy as possible, which is why I'm not shipping it outside the United States. The record thing, getting that even produced, you know, I have quotes and I know what it's going to cost and stuff, but um, I need to get my voice actors out here. And I don't know that I'm even going to be able to get a voice actor on a plane to come out here or, you know, like mm-hmm. that sort of thing. So it's just, uh, it might have to be its own thing just for logistics. But if, if the Kickstarter is like wildly successful and I do end up with a surplus, I might just eat the cost and finance that. Because funny enough, I can actually afford to pay for the record to get done it's less, way less expensive than getting this, this 400 page book done. Wow. Yeah. Cause the book itself is in, in both languages. I know we mm-hmm. haven't talked about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm doing a flip book so that you get all the story pages in English, all 172 pages of it, the, all six issues in English. Then you flip the book over and you get all 172 pages in Spanish. And, and mm-hmm. the words, the Spanish words that I use in the English version are going to be in English in the Spanish version. So they're going to pop cool. over. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I just wanted, um, yeah, I mean, I, I wanted to make a bilingual comic for people. Like, mm-hmm. I, I always wanted to put the book out in Spanish, but the direct market was just not interested in a Spanish language comic book. Mm-hmm. You know? Like the, the conventional wisdom is Spanish language comics don't sell. And I say, well, maybe, but you're free, you know, like, I think you need to add on to that sentence. I think that sentence needs to be Spanish language comics don't sell in the direct market. Mm-hmm. Like you've never, you know, you've, you've done half-assed efforts to kind of market to Spanish people. And, and honestly, translating Spider-Man into Spanish and seeing that that's for Latinos is a little disrespectful because it's like, mm-hmm. you know, you're just taking a white thing and, and hitting translate and here you go. Mm-hmm. It's like the ethos of the character isn't for Latinx people. It's, you know, it's for this very specific direct market. Mm-hmm. Just putting it in Spanish isn't necessarily going to bring people in. You know, I'm, you know, Latinx creator making Latinx subject matter yeah. for Latinx people. Like, you know, yeah. so the Spanish version is going to be even more authentic, in my opinion, than the English version even is, you know, like. Because to me, Luchador speaks Spanish. Like, whatever yeah. I see. You know, yeah. like, so, like, because I used to watch those movies without subtitles, and I don't speak Spanish. <laughs> like, I just watched yeah. it in Spanish. So, um, you know, in, you, know, uh, I, you know, I'm thinking about, if I do the record, doing a Spanish version as well. That'd be dope. But like, because I just, because, so the guy that I have in mind to have talked to, he's on board. We just got to, the world has to settle down. Uh, he, he's bilingual. Mm-hmm. He, he, he has a great, uh, deep effect like when he wants to he can do this like really macho hmm. like uh lo- like a luchador voice you yeah know? he's actually he's played a luchador in another movie and he's and like and like when i heard it in the movie i'm like that guy i need him to do little mano so he can do it in english but he does it much better in spanish so i definitely mm-hmm. want him to 
my problem is going to be finding the other kind of background actors like because right. i don't want to have to pay two set of sets of people i'd rather get one set that can do both and oh yeah, yeah, yeah. bilingual is hard to find anyway so um yeah man like it, like i said if, if the if the kickstarter is successful enough Mm-hmm. It you know I I would definitely just eat it and then just put it out as as a as a, a an add on you know or, mm-hmm. or maybe a stretch goal but at this point I'm just trying to I'm trying to get that audience that the direct market is ignored mm-hmm. right because they just you know they're not set up to do it and they haven't been doing it so them doing it now is kind of half hearted mm-hmm. and it's ineffective because that 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 market the the comic shops and diamond and all of that yeah I've been ignoring it for so long that like it's disingenuous for them to start now and so every time they they maybe make steps to but places like IDW and I think Fantagraphics are putting stuff out in Spanish now too. Mm-hmm. So like the, the cool indie people know mm-hmm. that they're, that they can get, you know, product to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the problem is, is that they're so, they've been so ignored by these normal media channels of the mm-hmm. direct market that their ears aren't out for them. So me doing my comic, like I really have to get out and like things like this are great. Cause like I'm assuming yeah. a lot of like, people are going to listen. So, Definitely. So, like, yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I, I'd rather talk to where they're going to hear like, Hey man, there's a thing I made for you. Mm-hmm. That's not a, it's not a money grab. It's not a, a half assed attempt at me just to get more money. I mean, like literally, like if you look at my Kickstarter goal, it's a big number because it's a 400 page book that I have to do yeah. asset lithography yeah, to be on a newsprint. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, you know, and, and I'm not, and I'm not charging a lot for the single issues. I just need a lot of people to get involved. Right. Yeah. So my, my break even point is 800 issues. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I just, I'm trying to get out and try to get those 800 people like, Hey, just get, get a $15 PDF. If you don't want the whole, you know, the whole big thing or yeah. you know, $35 book, that's you know, totally you get a free PDF with it. You know, you don't have to get like, and then I'm not, I'm not trying to dazzle anyone with like, you know, BS prizes and you know things that like, Oh, mm-hmm. you get a t-shirt and a tote. And like, nah, man, like I just, it's about the book that I made for you. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm doing more than like, I'm trying, I'm, I'm going to meet them where they are. Like, I'm not mm-hmm. asking them to come to me. I'm not pissed that they haven't come to me. Because man, the market hasn't been talking to them forever. Why should be? I, why should I be upset that they don't, they don't know this is happening? So I'm just getting in my car, getting on podcast, driving around, going, "Hey, you're like, you know, here's here's the thing I made for you. You know, hopefully you'll enjoy it." And that's the thing, you know, being out there doing shows and stuff is like I can't tell you how many like, like literal like abuelitas will like see like, oh, I remember luchadors from when I was a kid. Like these old women who were just there with their grandchildren. Mm-hmm will come by and check my comic out. I'm like, yeah, this is, yeah, this is so cool. I want this. You know, like they're, they're really surprised that there is a thing for them, but like mm-hmm. from you know, something they remember, something they like, something that's culturally relevant to them. And they had no, like they were there just to babysit their grandchildren. And now they're buying a comic book because it's something that resonates with them. So it's just like, like I, I was telling someone earlier today, it's like, there, there's like a secret handshake that's gone into my comic book, right? Like mm-hmm. the, 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 from the title to the way that it looks, the color palette. And if it catches you on a subconscious level, if you, if you stop just to go like, Oh, what is that? Mm-hmm. You, you're probably going to dig it. Mm-hmm. You know, if it, but it's also, there are people who probably don't care about it and they don't even see it. They never even stop to go. What is this? You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. so, and, and again, I'm not interested in those people. They, they have the whole rest of the direct market. That's all for them. You get everything from Superman all the way down to condiment King. That's all there. for Yeah. You. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Like uh, you can have all of that. I'm just saying, hey man, I made this. I I made this custom bespoke thing for you mm-hmm. guys, and I think mm-hmm. you'd enjoy it. So you know, and all I want to do is get the word out. Like I'm not yeah. going to shame anyone for not involving me. Times are tough. I understand. You know, like I tried to keep the price point as low as I could. I definitely mm-hmm. probably could have charged fifty bucks, maybe for you know. Mm-hmm. But I'm trying to like, I just want to you know, I just want to make it accessible to the people I made it for, and then get the word out to them. Which is why I'm running the campaign for sixty days too. It's why mm-hmm. it's going till November third. It's yeah, just like. Yeah. Like I'm gonna give everyone as long as possible. I'm not gonna, you know, besmirch anyone. And hey, man, if you dig it but you can't afford it, just just share it. Just let people know yeah. that you like it. You know, like I'm, 
I'm not, you know, I'm not going to hard sell anybody, but I, I think it's cool. Some people think it's cool. Oh, yeah, it's awesome. And, thanks, man. It's awesome. And, and I just feel like, you know, you check it out. <laughs> like, well, well, look, I, 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 before you even set up the Kickstarter, I uh, bought all six of the issues, like single mm-hmm. issues. And because I was like, you know what? This is awesome. I want to read this. I love Luchadores. I love this is, you know, we need more comics like this, you know? Um, and the fact that you made a comic like this, you know what really struck to me though? Um, like, and the reason why I first bought it is because I love the artwork. No, oh, thank you. The artwork is really what struck out to me. And I love the color that you used and everything like that. And I'm like, just the illustrations alone sold me. Like I hadn't read anything yet. Anything, um, but I'm like, I'm gonna buy every issue just because I love the artwork. Yeah, and I really then, wanted that like Latino color palette. Like, mm-hmm. I wanted a thing, oh, that, yeah. like you know, that just it's looked there. like, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. You know, looked like that bright, vibrant Mexico. Mm-hmm. You know, and again, that's one of the things that like when people see those colors together, that teal with that, you know, with yeah. the uh, the green and the magenta, like, like ah, like that. Yeah, that, that reminds me yeah. something. Yeah. And, so, I mean, um, go ahead, it, sorry, man, I didn't catch you. No, you're good. You're good. Okay. Um, it's just natural conversation, bro. It's all. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, it just, it, and then I had a chance to read them and everything. I'm just like, man, I, we need more comics like this. And, you know, um, I, I never, I like, like the cool thing about this podcast is that I've had some chance to meet some cool people and I'm glad that I was able to meet you out of this, uh, Gonzo. And dude, this, like I've had, this was a fantastic conversation. This was an well, awesome you, conversation. Um, and just, um, we need more comics like this. So <laughs> We need, yeah, more, for sure. we need more representation within comic book media. And this is something, this is why I do the research I do that um, we, I, I'm always trying to advocate that we need more Latino Latinx representation within comic book media, within popular culture, within media in general, you know? Well, I think that um, in addition to that, so here's my, like uh, my stipulation that I, when people say we need more representation, mm-hmm. I think we need more authentic, authentic. diverse. Yes authentic and diverse representation yes Yes. because people think that having like a latinx person on their show Mm -hmm. of mostly white people like oh look how diverse Mm -hmm. we are or having a little benetton ad with a bunch of stereotypes is like yeah i need you know i want to you know we're running a risk of that kind of mono narrative that i was talking about right and 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 i think you're talking with one of the shows i listened to of yours uh i can't remember her name anyway you guys were talking about uh, like machismo, right? Like mm. how, how a lot of dudes are like oversexed, kind of like, you know, mm-hmm. aggressive dudes. I've noticed recently um, sexually charged Latina lesbian is becoming a thing mm. that I keep seeing more and more of. Mm. And I'm like, that, that might not be a good stereotype. I mean, like, hey, man, I'm sure they're out there. I'm sure there's plenty of, and it, they're free to be as aggressive or non-aggressive. But like, mm-hmm. literally I saw like three movies in a row where there was a Latina lesbian who was like super aggressive towards straight women. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, maybe that's not a stereotype we want to lead yeah. into, you know? So they've taken kind of creepy oversex dude and just gender swapped him. And mm. now it's diversity because we're, we got gays and we've got, you know, let, let next people. And I'm like, eh. So I think we need, you know, um, yeah, we, we need people that, that whose lives are outside the cartels mm-hmm. or poverty or immigration can't, you know, or is there and things like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Covered in tattoos. And so, yeah, mm-hmm. just, it's like, yeah, I mean, and, and again, this is, you know, Lucha Libre, there's a lot of different kinds of people. They're, you know, some are affluent, some are poor. Mm-hmm. You know, they're all differently motivated. It's not mm-hmm. just like us against this, you know, um, hegemonic threat of, of poverty or whatever. Yeah, I mean, it's just, yeah, I, you know, and, and to me, authenticity was like, that's, I wanted to get the, the comics right. Like I wanted, mm-hmm. again, wanted to make comic from gas comics. Mm-hmm. I wanted to get the Latinx culture right because, mm-hmm. you know, I was sick of seeing sepia tone, brown Mexico on, on American movies. And I definitely want to get the wrestling right because those people will pick you apart if you get it <laughs> wrong. Yeah. 
So, uh, I mean, I should say, like, I'm one of those people. It's like, yeah, it's like, you know, so, yeah, authentic representation of an expression of beauty. And that's what I, you know, and not just mm -hmm. uh, let's show all the, 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 the hardships of a people. Like, yeah, mm -hmm. let's, let's have an opportunity to express our beauty. Mm -hmm. I guess I'm down for fighting our fight, but, like, we need authentic and diverse representation. Mm -hmm. And just in, inclusion isn't representation. And inclusion isn't diversity. And inclusion yeah. isn't authenticity. So, yes, we want inclusion. But with that, we want authentic, authentic, diverse mm -hmm. representation. Exactly. And, uh, yeah, yeah. So um, I think it's important to know that. But, but I, I like to think that kind of what I did sort of does that, you know? I agree. Um, I agree. I, I, I wholeheartedly believe that. And like I said, I think La Mano del Destino is an amazing comic. It's a fun comic that I highly recommend to people. And if you have a chance to back um, uh, Gonzo's Kickstarter, definitely have a check it out um i'll put the link in in the description that way you all can check it out um gonzo do you want to plug anything else then do you want to um, you know if, if you watch the video on the kickstarter my social media is on the last card of, or is the last frame of the video so if you want to follow me on social media they're all there i'm not going to list them all all here i mean other than like la mano like i really uh honestly like look check it out like if you don't if you don't dig it just share it you know like i again i realize that it's a niche thing um i'm not i'm not saying it's for everybody but i should say a couple of things I want to say about the Kickstarter. A, the book is done. Like you're mm -hmm. not going to be waiting mm -hmm. for me to do anything. Like it's not like you're paying me to, to make the book. The book is done. You're, it's just paying for the shipping and, and, and mm -hmm. printing of it. Uh, and then, um, oh, fuck, where the other thing was. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, man, I totally forgot. Anyway, yeah, just just know that it's done. Um, and I know that it's not for everybody, but uh, check it out. I think you'll dig it, you know? Yeah, it's definitely uh, awesome. No, thank you, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, Jay, I really appreciate this, man. I had an amazing conversation with you. This was a blast, man. I had a fun time talking about luchadores, comic books, and just geeking out with you, man. Oh, and um, I really appreciate this. And I re really appreciate the work that you're doing by doing comics like this and um, the whole world that you're creating uh, and representing uh, the Latinx community in comic books in, in a legit light, you know. And uh, I really appreciate that. And uh, I hope that uh, the readers that have a chance to read your comic appreciate it too, man. Thanks for having me on, man. Appreciate it. Thanks so much, brother. Again, thanks so much to Jay Gonzo for being a guest on this week's Academics on Amigos. Be sure to support his Kickstarter for uh, La Mano del Destino. It's an amazing comic, and I cannot say that enough. And we, as a Latinx community, and, um, you know, just comic book fans in general and fans of popular culture in general, we need more books like this. So, you know, go and support this book, you know, donate whatever you can to help support this if, you, if you're able to. Um, you know, I really love the artwork and the writing of this book. It's amazing. And if you love wrestling, go support it too. But um, until next time, my friends, be cool, stay awesome, and stay safe. Much love.